0: We're going to start this morning, uh, before Monty comes to preach, uh, reading from Psalm 90. Um, This is going to come from a version you're probably not familiar with. Uh, It's the complete Jewish Bible, and you might find it in your app, but you'll have the words uh, behind on the screen. So, uh, let's listen to what the psalmist has to say. Psalm 90. A prayer of Moshe. That's Moses, the man of God. Adonai, you have been our dwelling place in every generation. Before the mountains were born, before you had formed the earth and the world, from eternity past to eternity future, you are God. You bring frail mortals to the point of being crushed, then say, people, repent. For from your viewpoint, a thousand years are merely like yesterday or a night watch. When you sweep them away, they become like sleep. By morning, they are like growing grass, growing and flowering in the morning. But by evening, cut down and dried up. For we are destroyed by your anger, overwhelmed by your wrath. You have placed our faults before you, our secret sins in the full light of your presence. All our days ebb away under your wrath. Our years die away like a sigh. The span of our life is 70 years, or if we're strong, 80, maybe more. Yet at best, it is toil and sorrow, over in a moment and then we're gone. Who grasps the power of your anger and wrath to the degree that the fear do you should inspire? So teach us to count our days so that we will become wise. Return Adonai, how long must it go on? Take pity on your servants. Fill us at daybreak with your love so that we can sing for joy as long as we live. Let our joy last as long as the time you made us suffer for as many years as we experienced trouble. Show your deeds to your servants and your glory to their children. May the favor of Adonai, our God, be on us. Prosper us for all the work that we do. Yes, prosper the work that we do. This, my brothers and sisters, is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have made the cry of your people in the past to be your word back to us today. Just as they were all over the place, Lord, so are we. All over the place. Their complaint is still our complaint, and yet your steadfast love never changes. And Lord, just as they realize that only you could bring them joy. We come to you with the same request. Pour out your love on us that we would be filled with joy, even in the midst of our brokenness in the shattered world in which we live. Help us to sing and dance and live free in your grace. We pray, Father, for our brother Monty to bring us today your word and your inspiration. Fill him with peace to trust that all that you have given him to share with us and bless him with your love and let him experience your approval of him as a chosen and beloved son. Give us, O Lord, ears to hear and open our hearts to receive your unlimited love that we may be truly wise and fill us today with laughter and joy that we might celebrate that we are fully known and fully loved by you. You are the same yesterday, today and forever. All praise Honor and glory be unto you, God. We pray all of this in your powerful and joyful name. The name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you.
1: Just take that with you. I love this brother, Dan. I asked him if he would uh, read for us psalm 90 and and pray for me and i'm very thankful i needed that thank you dan good morning my name is monty mccullough i'm one of the elders here at grace hill um and it's a blessing for me to be able to do this with you this morning Uh, believe me Uh, as may have been mentioned alan uh our pastor alan is is with the brazil team uh short-term mission trip and um so he's not here this morning, and our, and our pastor, Evan, uh, is not with us this morning. He's with his family on vacation. So um, you get me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm blessed to be given this opportunity not only to study God's word and try to encourage all of us with what he says to us through his word. What a gift his word is. But I hope to show you that gift um, this morning and, and encourage all of our hearts. Uh, a quick little story for you. Uh, before I was going to do this, I had this this vision of of these particular songs that we needed to sing this morning. That we're just going to blow this open. <laughs> so I, I kind of did a little, uh, I don't know what you call it, um, submersive actions to try to to get Melody to do that. And uh, Melody said she'd pray about it. She did. She got back to me, and we're not going to do those. I told Melody, I will submit to you. I did. And um, what you don't get... um, that I have received as a blessing is the study that I do to prepare for this and kind of giving Melody the the gist of of where I'm going and then to sit and stand down there and, and worship with you all and see what the Lord had her bring. Blew me away. Melody is a very gifted woman and a great leader. Thank you, Melody. What I want us to hear this morning is how to watch Jesus, how to watch God through what he brings us, what he tells us, how to fight to follow him, how to Continually fight to follow Him, and part of that is praying these realistic prayers. The reason for Psalm 90 this morning—I'm not going to be preaching on Psalm 90—but the reason for Psalm 90 this morning is that is that it's a prayer of almost despair. It's a prayer, and it's an and as Alan's been telling us through the 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 Psalms uh, study is that. They're all over the place because we're all over the place. And as, as Dan already mentioned this morning. So that's my objective this morning. I believe we all need to be reminded of the frequent, on a frequent basis that there is grace for whatever is going on in your heart and whatever's going on in my heart. There is grace for whatever is happening to you and whatever's happening to me. And there is grace for what is going on around us You and I lose sight of that way too frequently. And I don't mean we lose sight of that many frequent days. I mean we lose sight of that many frequent moments of every day. You and I are prone to forget that same grace is there for those around us as well. And if we're going to have the heart of the Father, the heart of Jesus, we're to yield to the leading of the Holy Spirit To give that grace and not yield to our own self-serving tendencies that I have, that all of us have. We have to fight against the self-serving tendency that we have. He calls us to that. If you remember Alan's sermon last week, there are many situations going on right now that seem so discouraging and disheartening. There are broken family situations. There are debilitating sicknesses to loved ones. There are heart situations where there is worry or real concern of the direction a loved one is taking. There are situations where work is either a burden, a real burden, or just need a job for an income. There are situations where someone has been hurt, and it's just hard to forgive. And I suppose I could go on and on, but we don't have that. I can't take that time, so I'm going to stop there. (laughs) What's the situation in your life that is either discouraging or disheartening? Sometimes we tend to ask questions like, if God is really who he says he is, if God is all-powerful, If God is in control of all things, if God is good, if God is love, if I'm saved, why is all of this happening around me and to me? What gives? Is this faith thing worth fighting for? We hear things like, when nothing else or no one else in your life remains and is faithful, you can rest assured that God will be both. He will remain and be faithful. I believe that's true. Do you? If we do believe that, then why do we still ask the questions and doubt? I tend to ask these questions less frequently when I'm around God's word and with others who believe God's word and are trying to walk in sync with God's character. But I still ask, do you? What does that imply about me? Does that imply that I'm not a really a believer in God and his word? Well, no. I'm very grateful for God's word. I love this book. I love the way it teaches me. And I want to walk in sync with him. Does it imply that I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, no. I've had too many instances in my life where I know I can hear God's word from the Bible ringing in my ears, beckoning me to do something or not do something, and I know it would be self-serving to ignore him. And then when I do yield to God's word, I find that I'm more at rest than I would have been otherwise. And I do realize that. You and I need to do whatever it takes to watch God closely by being in his word and in his presence. You and I need to fight to follow his ways and not our own ways, which usually would lead us down that self-service path over another person or even over God's kingdom. And if we're not fighting to follow him and what he says, we will have a much harder fall in a humbling experience otherwise. If if you know the story of the prodigal son, that's what I'm talking about. He came to his senses all of a sudden. You and I also need to pray to worship God. I believe prayer is worship. I believe singing to God is worship. I believe listening to God's Word and reading God's Word is worship, but particularly prayer, in my opinion, is worship because it's personal. It's talking to God and having a relationship with Him. Otherwise, just gaining knowledge is that. It's just knowledge. He wants a relationship with us. We need to watch God Fight to follow God and pray to God. We need to do this together for the encouragement that it brings the whole process. Uh, Lori and and my amazing wife, 43 years, who unfortunately is not here this morning, she and I were reading in Paul Tripp's devotional, New Morning Mercies. And I want you to hear some of what Paul Tripp wrote that morning. Paul Tripp says this, and he's he's referring to Psalm 90. There you go. He says, I love the honesty of the Bible. I love that faith in God doesn't require you and me to play monkey business or monkey games with reality. I love that Bible's description of life in this fallen world is accurate and familiar. Psalm 90 is one of the most honest and descriptive Psalms. How's this for honesty? The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80, yet their span is nothing but toil and trouble. They're soon gone and we fly away. Here's what the psalmist is saying Your life will be short and will be marked by difficulty. Not very good news, is it? But it's true. You live in a fallen world that itself groans, waiting for redemption. You live with flawed people who think, say, and do wrong things. You live in a place where corruption, immorality, injustice, pollution, and disease still live and do their ugly work. You live in an environment that does not function according to God's original design. Every day is marked by little troubles. And big trouble will enter your door as well. In all of this, you are tempted to feel alone, forsaken, poor, and unable. In all this, you are tempted to wonder whether God exists, let alone if he hears or cares. In your trouble, some people around you are insensitive and unloving. They find your troubles to be too much of a burden. And the people who are sensitive and loving have little power to ease or erase your trouble. This is why the beginning of this psalm of trouble is so important. This honest psalm doesn't begin with trouble. It begins with the most important declaration that anyone who faces trouble could ever hear. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world... From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. If you're God's child, you're not alone. This glorious grace has connected you to the one whose power and love don't shift with the times. At a men's breakfast a couple months ago, Alan was leading us and had us look at the Great Commission passage as he was talking. I'm one of these people that when I notice something new to me in a familiar passage like the uh, Great Commission that I've read probably hundreds of times in my life and heard sermons on it, I'm one of these people that when I see something brand new to me in a familiar passage, I lose all ability to listen or follow along because my mind is captivated by this new thing that I've never noticed. It excites me, and I can't stop thinking about it. Let me read that to you. This is the Great Commission, Psalm I mean, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, and some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What I noticed that day was the phrase, verse 16 and 17, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshiped him. I had never noticed that they worshiped Jesus when they saw him. It started my mind wondering, what did that look like? What did it look like for these 11 men to worship? Were they singing hymns? Were they prostrate on the ground saying, holy, holy, holy? What do you think of when you hear that phrase? Then I remembered that there were miracles that Jesus did, and those who were healed either came back and worshipped him or worshipped him right there. What did that look like? What is worship to you? Uh, True worship. I think it's worth considering as we come before our king, whether at a simple prayer or a devotion or at a gathering like this, do you and I truly worship? Then the morning of June 28, when Lori and I were in our devotion that morning, we were having co- morning coffee and devotional time, and I have no idea what prompted it. No idea what prompted it, but something caused me to think about this question of worship, what it looks like biblically. And I turned back to the Great Commission. I told you, I'm one of these people that I, you know, when I get this thought, it, I just go. And, and I went to June 28 in this thing, and I read it again, I read the scripture that goes with it, again, and I can't tell you what brought my mind to worship. I can't tell you, but when my mind went there, I turned to Matthew 28 again, and here I was again. And then I noticed something brand new all over again when I read it. Let me read that to you, verse 16 and 17 again. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshiped him but some doubted. I noticed that the 11 disciples, apostles, are the ones worshiping and some are doubting. Did I read that right? Apostles seeing Jesus in the resurrected state once again? This wasn't the first time. And some are doubting? I'm not a Greek scholar. <laughs> but I do know how to use the Blue Letter Bible app, and I recommend that if you don't have it. I know how to use that to look up Greek and Hebrew and see what it means. So I went to Matthew 28:17 and looked up the word doubt. What did this mean? What is Matthew telling us? I found something amazing to me. That specific word in the Greek is distatzo. That's how they say to pronounce it. I don't know otherwise. And it's only used twice in the New Testament. That word, distatzo, is only used twice in the New Testament. Both times it is used, it is used by Matthew. The other time it is used is in Matthew 14, 31, right after Peter had walked on the water and he started to sing. Verse 31 says, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? This is Peter, the Apostle Peter. He's doubting? You have to know he is because Jesus, who knows what everybody's thinking, said he was doubting. Now, I'm really intrigued, and I'm all gassed up, thinking about these guys doubting, and I noticed something else going to verse 32 of that same passage. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Those in the boat, including Peter, worshiped him, and it tells us how they are worshiping him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Wait, can you doubt and worship? I looked up what the commentator Wiersbe said about the great commission doubt comment. And he said that because some doubted, this meant there were more people there than the 11 disciples because the 11 were confirmed believers. I'm going to let that sink in just a second. A confirmed believer doesn't doubt. I must tell you I disagree with Wearsby. And the reason I do is because that word is only used twice and both times by the same writer and both times concerning disciples, apostles. Peter was a confirmed believer, right? Wait, can you doubt and worship? I'm trying to put myself in the apostles position as I think about this and are they on the mountain where Jesus directed them waiting for him and then when they see him some are wondering is it really him? I can't believe what I'm seeing. am, Am I really seeing what I'm seeing? This isn't really happening, is it? How? You and I accept it because it's a story in the Bible about Jesus. Do you think you would have a category in your head For what they are witnessing. And the walking on water thing. What are we told the disciples think first when they see Jesus on the water? They think it's a ghost. And then Peter says to him. He's doubting. Then Peter says to him, Lord, if it is you command me to come out on the water. Come to you on the water. Peter started with doubting, but obeyed with faith, and then doubted again when he saw the wind and waves. Then he worshiped. I dare say you and I don't have a category either for something, someone walking on the water, nor do we have a category for someone calming the wind and waves. Even John the Baptist doubted at one time even though the word doubt wasn't used for him in that passage. He's wondering with Jesus' power and who the Messiah would be, why is the all-important frontrunner for the Christ still in jail and not out? He did what he was supposed to do and he did it faithfully. Yet in Matthew 11:2 2 through 3, we read this. Now when John the Baptist, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who's to come or shall we look for another? You and I are going to wonder in this broken world at times if all of this is true. Ecclesiastes 3, 11 tells us, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He also has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. We have eternity, hope, hardwired in us. And at the same time, it is such that we cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end, that is a very comforting and frustrating thing, I think. We naturally are wondering because we do not know the way things that we're going through are going to turn out. The encouragement I want you to realize this morning and going forward is that God not only has promised your ultimate wholeness In his presence as a child of God. But you are not alone in wondering and questioning and doubting. Even apostles struggled with the same reality of how this world is. I was very encouraged when I discovered this. The apostles that were doubting were still commissioned by Jesus. He knew their hearts. I'm going to say that again. The apostles who were doubting were still commissioned by Jesus. He knew their hearts. He knows your heart. Jesus reached out his hand to the doubting apostle Peter. And he still reaches out his hand to you and me, even when we ask these questions. Don't think God is wondering why you're thinking these things when you think them. He understands what the brokenness of this world tarnishes and confuses. He knows we don't know all that he knows. He does give us story after story after story in the Bible that shows how he upheld his children and gives them words of encouragement to watch him fight to follow him, and he invites us into his throne room to pray and talk to him. He made a way for us even when we had our backs turned to him. He loves each one of you more than you can imagine, regardless of your present or past actions. Is he worth watching? Is fighting to know him and follow him worth the joy and peace he promises? Is he worth prayer, your time to talk to him so he can talk to you? I want to encourage you in whatever circumstance you're in right now. Alan's sermon last week was very much on point, and we all should either hear it if we haven't or hear it again. He challenged us with the measuring stick of loving one another as Christ loved us rather than making issues a higher priority than that command. My notes here say I want to tell you a story of how I doubted Jesus' command to accept love as a solution. And I was going to tell you a story about um, going to see Gary Chapman at a marriage conference called The Marriage You've Always Wanted to try to bring home some of what I'm talking about. So ask me some time to tell you that story. Tell us that story. Not today. Well, later today. Um, I'm taking one of those right turns. Um... I talked about this sermon with my bride, uh, Lori, and she was um, telling me that maybe I should consider another story. And she told me what that story was. And I'm feeling the, uh, the need to follow that. We have situations in our lives where we doubt things. We have situations in our lives where it's hard to... Follow what he says, fight to believe what he says, and yet spend a lot of time in prayer, praying about what he says and saying, God, is this true? In this situation, is this true? Are you there? Not only do you, are you there, I know you care, I know you're there, I know you love, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. But God, you said, train a child in the way he shall go and he will not depart from it. Do that, and at the same time, help my unbelief. It's difficult. Then I have a child that has walked away from the faith, has walked away from the Word, doesn't believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that maybe he's a way, a truth, and a life, but... And, and I go through those... John the Baptist type thoughts that I was telling you about, I I did it right, right? I did what I was supposed to do. I, I trained that way. Really, Lord? Help my doubt. I want you to know, as I said earlier, that becomes a stronger conviction to me To believe and not doubt when I'm with you when I'm with others who fight to follow even when we don't understand even when it's hard I've seen too much in my own heart too much in my own life too many changes that this story would have told you about that that tell me God is faithful, God is true, and God knows what's going on. I don't, but I desperately want to know. Father, walk with me. Brothers and sisters, walk with me. And that gives me strength. And when I am on my knees, when I am praying, when I'm praying about this, it literally... I do hear the Lord saying, I'm with you. Melody, you just don't know how some of those songs were saying that to me this morning. That's why I'm on this different path. So I hope you kind of understand where I'm coming from there. I don't have permission to talk about a lot of things there, so I'm going to leave it there. Jesus Christ came into this world for the express purpose to make a way for you and me to know him, to know God. Jesus died to reconcile my sin and your sin and erase it from our record. And he is saying come to me holding out his hand just like he was to the doubting apostle Peter if anyone here or listening is not a follower of Jesus Christ I invite you to come down and see our our prayer ministers it'll be Kathleen Ferris and Dan LeMay They would love to talk with you and pray for you. If anyone here is going through a season and need help, encouragement, prayer, Kathleen and Dan are up front for that as well. And if, and if they have somebody with them, wait. They still want to give you time. I, I'm sorry, Dan can come back up. I'm sorry. <laughs> Shouldn't have taken my right turn. They're serving for that purpose, to pray with us, to encourage us. These prayer ministers go through the same questions. They go through the same doubt. They need the same encouragement. And um, we have a prayer team that meets every Thursday morning, led by Kathleen, that uh, I dearly love. Um, right now, I'm the only male on the on the on the team, but um, I got to tell you, the amount of um, learning how to pray, and I'll use Kathleen's word in a raw sense, um, to our to our God, is uh, amazing. It's an amazing time we have together. Let's pray, Father. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your love that surpasses just our own understanding, our own ability. Uh, we, We need desperately to love others as you have loved us, just to know you better, just to realize the amount of love you have for us. Father, we have questions, we have thoughts in our minds that that we don't know what to do with them sometimes and and we, sometimes we don't feel like we should cry out to you, Lord, because uh, that just wouldn't be like a confirmed believer. Father, um, thank you for your love that loves us in spite of that. Thank you for your love that beckons us to come And you hold out your hand to us. Father, I ask that each person here would feel that hand reaching out. That they would feel that love that covers a multitude of things. And allows us to know you and see you better. Father, thank you for these things. In Christ's name, amen.